We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Ace is a place with the helpful hardware, folks. At Ace, your backyard's right in our backyard, which means we have hand-picked products that are right for the birds in your neighborhood, like premium bird seed, suet, birdhouses, and feeders. Stop by your local Ace and get everything you need to attract the birds you want, including Ace Wild Bird Food, on sale now. Now through Tuesday only, when you buy two 20-pound bags of wild bird food, get a third bag free, only at Ace, the helpful place. Offer valid through February 28th at participating stores. Welcome to the Roadwire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. I'm Derek Van Riper, joined again today by Tag Whalen. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher, could please leave us a rating and review. We'd greatly appreciate that. Thank you to those of you who've already taken the time to do that over the past few weeks. We really appreciate uh, your support of this podcast. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to take a look at each of the 32 teams in the league. Initially, I wrote 30 on the outline because I'm still such a, such a baseball guy. But uh, 32 teams, at least 32 busts guaranteed. Maybe as many as 64 if, if we uh, don't agree in a particular hey, case. Why cap it there? Yeah, I mean, it, it could be 96 busts. It could be three per could team. 5,000 busts. The whole league might bust this year. The entire league could We're due for a league-wide us. bust. Yeah, just, just a down year for the league as a whole. Which would be a fantastic Onion article. I'm, I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to that that article <laughs> if they ever put uh, like a fantasy football preview yeah. together. But let's start in the NFC East. Let's start with the Washington Redskins. I have no shares of Matt Jones. He got hurt this preseason, which disappoints me because other people aren't taking him with the expectation of getting a low-end RB2 anymore. But I see so little chance of Matt Jones actually being a good NFL running back. He's the player I'm staying away from at all costs on the Washington uh, depth chart right now. 
I did go and get him in the stake league. So, you know, I'm being a little bit hypocritical, but he's my guy as well. Um, you know, I, I think the upside with Matt Jones is that they don't have a ton of talent behind him. You know, it isn't necessarily, you know, a guy we're going to talk about later, Latavius Murray, where, you know, you have a DeAndre Washington, kind of a, a dynamic, fairly high upside rookie behind him. In Washington, it's Chris Thompson. You know, it's Silas Red, who's heard. It's Keith Marshall, who's on IR. Silas you know, Red. Right. Hey, uh, ex-Penn State great Silas Red but that, the thing about Matt Jones is he just has to play relatively well and I think that's his job you know to, to hold on to what is the ceiling for him probably not all that high you know 800 900 yards so you know not a guy that you want to entrust with you know probably even RB2 uh, you know abilities in most leagues but he's to me the upside is just capped uh by his lack of talent and he did have some fumble issues last year as well so if anything maybe you know, ultimately spells the downfall of him as the number one running back. Maybe it's that hashtag plotter when it comes to Matt Jones. Let's move on to the Cowboys. Terrence Williams, uh, very good on a per target basis. Each of his first three years in the league, he's been at or above nine yards per target. There's certainly some big playability. He's never been targeted a hundred times in a season. He's played 16 games in each of his first three NFL campaigns. But if you think about the way the Dallas offense is going to function with Dak Prescott at quarterback instead of Tony Romo, Williams is the first player that you start to take away value from because the downfield passing game seems right. like it would suffer the most. And if Dak Prescott does take a chance downfield, it seems almost certain that it's going to Des Bryant. Right. And it's hard to say Terrence Williams is a big-time bust because he's not going all that high in drafts. And, and I think generally he's going to start to slip with this Tony Romo news. We're already seeing that. Um, but no, I mean, you hit you hit the the nail right on the head, I think, the downfield passing threat isn't going to be there. I think this can still be a productive offense with Dak Prescott, but if there are going to be throwing downfield, it's going to be to Des Bryant. I think there's going to be a lot of checkdowns. There's going to be a lot of throws over the middle. So maybe a guy like Cole Beasley gets bumped up. Maybe Jason Witten gets bumped up as kind of that that token veteran security blanket for the young quarterback. But uh, I don't think this is the year that Terrence Williams finally breaks that 100-target threshold. What that would essentially mean, though, is just you're not looking at Terrence Williams as one of your last receivers. As Nick said, it's not like you're looking at him as a Well, there's so much depth at the end, too. You know, if you're in, you know, if you're in round 11 or round 12 and you're just filling out that bench, you know, there's, there's so many, to me, higher upside options out there. Yeah, I mean, a guy like Tajay Sharp has a similar ADP. Maybe he's going to rise over these final right. weekends of draft season. But well, I, I mean, even if you, look at, if you look at Terrence Williams on NFFC ADP, he's going 63rd among receivers right ahead of him is Josh Doxson right behind him is Tyler Boyd and you know I think I would rather risk it with both of those rookies over Terrence Williams yeah even with Doxson maybe a player that's going to take a little time to get some traction because of the time he missed uh, during the preseason let's shift the focus over to the Giants uh, kind of at a similar price point I mean Victor Cruz is as good of a story as it is that he's going to get back and maybe play in some games this season I just feel like he's going to be a shell of the player he once was and with Sterling Shepard there in particular it's still hard for me to imagine Cruz even being the Giants' number two receiver. So as their three, you know, maybe he has a game or two where he's useful from a DFS standpoint. But in season long, I have no interest in trying to buy in for a Victor Cruz rebound. Yep, yep. I, th- I think it's all health related, and you know, as we've said before, it's a it's a bit of a sad story, you know, given how his career is kind of unraveled after that knee injury. But I, I just don't see what you can expect from him whatsoever. Looking at the Eagles, I mean, they're one of those teams that they don't have a lot of talent at receiver behind Jordan Matthews. The trade for Doriel Green-Beckham might address that. I like Ryan Matthews a lot at running back. He's one of the players I want to have many places. I've been talking about him pretty much throughout the entire draft season. You know, Sam Bradford's not going early enough to where I think he's any sort of bust at all. He's being appropriately priced, if not a little underpriced, in Doug Peterson's offense. I think it comes down to one of the receivers, though. For me, Jordan Matthews being banged up especially, unless the price goes down considerably, I think he's going to be a bust because I think early in the season, even if he's playing, that knee is going to be a problem for him in the early weeks of the season, and the volume of targets or the efficiency could take a hit early on. I do like Jordan Matthews. You know, Obviously, the coaching change is something you always have to consider um, when, when dealing with any of these elite players, but he is going a little bit high for my liking and going ahead of Eric Decker, going ahead of Devontae Parker, uh, even guys like Alan Hearns, Michael Crabtree, I would probably put slightly above Jordan Matthews. But at the end of the day, he's still the number one receiver in an offense that is somewhat mysterious, for lack of a better term. I, I wouldn't say I'm expecting this Philadelphia offense to be good, but we really don't know uh, how productive it's going to be. And, and being the number one receiver in any offense, even if it's a bad offense to me, uh, does give Jordan Matthews a little bit of a boost. 
I'm a little bit more concerned about Nelson Aguilar and not a guy who's going high enough to, to again, really call much of a bust. But I think if they were if they were really satisfied with where Nelson Aguilar excuse me, was heading into year two, I don't know that they go out and get Doriel Green-Beckham, who you know could very easily kind of end up ascending above Aguilar on the depth chart. Yeah, I guess my expectations for Aguilar are already so low that I'm not really, right. not really looking at him as a bust. But Jordan Matthews still inside the top 50 overall for ADP, even though he's been missing time. With I mean, Aguilar injury. was a first-round pick last year. It's a, it, yeah. I mean, only 23 receptions as a rookie, and the, the Eagles were so dysfunctional that it's hard to take anything away from that. But, I mean, he kind of needs to have a pretty solid year here, or his career is going to be trending in the wrong direction. Agreed. I, I look at him as just a draft bust and someone who's never going to live up to the hype that he was carrying uh, this time last year. Maybe I'll be wrong. I mean, I've been wrong about all sorts of things over the years, believe it or not. I find that hard to believe. Yeah, it's, it is hard to believe. Uh, let's move on to the NFC West. Let's start with Seattle. You know, you look at Russell Wilson, no real concerns there. Thomas Rawls, health-wise, with the ankle, has some bust potential. I like what he did skills-wise last year in the absence of Marshawn Lynch, well over five yards per carry. I think Rawls, to me, though, is the player most likely to bust. And the reason I think that is because Doug Baldwin, nothing's changed in the receiving core. You know, it's still Baldwin, Curse, Tyler Lockett, Paul Richardson, same top four they were looking at a year ago, and... While Baldwin had that run of TDs at the end of the last season, because of Jimmy Graham's ongoing knee trouble, I think Baldwin can be utilized in a very similar way. I mean, yeah, you regress back the TD count overall because the pace down the stretch was ridiculous. But relative to cost, I think Rawls is the biggest potential bust in the Seattle offense this year, especially with Kristen Michael running it well. If Alex Collins hangs on the roster, he's the kind of guy that could emerge to be a viable inside runner. Procise doesn't seem like much of a threat, but really it comes down to Michael just going through what seems like some kind of renaissance this preseason. Right. It's kind of the the anti-situation that we talked about in Washington, where you actually have some intriguing guys behind the number one uh, in Thomas Rawls. And I think if you have faith in Thomas Rawls' health, to me, he's not a huge bust potential just because of what he was able to show when healthy last season. But you have to factor in a major ankle injury, especially with the number one running back who does a lot of his work between the tackles. Um, and I'm with you on the receiving situation. I, I'm higher on Doug Baldwin, I think, than most. There there seems to be that belief that you know there's no way he can possibly replicate what he did over the final six or seven games last year. And I think that rate certainly isn't sustainable, but you know if you project that over the full course of a season, he's the number one receiver in what should be a really good offense. Um, you know, I don't really have a problem taking him where he's going right now. Let's move on to the Arizona Cardinals. I've been avoiding all three of the top receivers again, not because I don't like them as individual talents, but because with the way that passing game works, they are very matchup dependent, and I think week to week you're going to struggle if you're in a league that starts two receivers you're going to really struggle with them. If you're in a league that starts three, you might even start second-guessing yourself in weeks where you know Michael Floyd doesn't go off. His volume kind of ebbs and flows in a way where you just don't know if he's going to get 10 targets a game, but he has that elite sort of upside that, that draws you in. I guess if I had to fade one, John Brown, because of the concussion issues so far during the preseason, he's the one that I'd probably be most likely to stay away from because if Floyd is completely healthy all year, which he wasn't last year, he had the dislocated fingers to start the season. I think some of the targets that were going to Brown early in the year are actually going to go to Floyd. Right. And regardless of what you think of John Brown, he's the third receiver on this team and that the Cardinals have three wide receivers, Fitzgerald, Floyd and Brown going within five picks of each other. Looking at the ADP data, you know, 29 or excuse me, 28 for Fitzgerald, 29 for Floyd, 32 for John Brown. So all three of those guys, you know, going ahead of Alan Hearns, going ahead of Michael Crabtree, guys who are solid number two receivers and pretty good passing offenses so you know to me you kind of have to pick two of the three and, and brown is the guy who gets left out i think with brown because he, he makes so many of the big plays downfield if carson palmer fades at all he hasn't looked hurt, good this preseason it hurts brown more than it hurts fitzgerald yes. and floyd floyd's right. such a good after the catch guy a little bigger mm-hmm. brown to me seems like the player that yeah. would get hurt the most and fitzgerald so. is the guy i'm just scared to fade because as soon as you do that he you know he has a year like he did last season yeah betting against larry fitzgerald especially with a full point ppr league right seems like that he'll, he'll a find mistake. a way to get his targets all right so let's talk about the rams i mean the yeah, expectations yikes. are so low for every player other than todd Gurley. Is there it's actually really hard to find a bust? No, I don't. I don't think there is. This is the. I. I think I wrote here on our little outline. Everyone except Gurley. I don't. Unless you think Todd Gurley is going to be a bust, no one is really going high enough to declare, you know, an actual legitimate fantasy bust. Tavon Austin 
Maybe, I like Tavon Austin. I like him as if a If you get him in the right player. spot, I think he's he's really interesting. But he's he he's like I can't even compare him to anybody else in the league right no, now. It, like the touch volume for him is all over the map. I mean, he can help on special teams if your league uh, will reward right. you for uh, like a return touchdown and he carries the ball enough to kind of offset some of the limited targets, but he had one game last year where he had more than seven targets. I mean, he had he had as many rushing attempts as he did receptions last season. Yeah. To me, than, he's more of a running back almost than he is a receiver at this point, but, but it's fine. I mean, he's... I think he does enough of both to kind of combine and give you, you know, the production of a mid-tier receiver. I guess because he's the only non-girly Ram that's being yeah. targeted in like a 12-team league, by default, Tavon Austin is the player that busts. I just, I don't, yeah. I don't trust him. I don't know when to use him. Like, it has to be a that case where he's your only option because he doesn't seem like matchup dependent. Mm-hmm. It just seems like Random. he's good when he breaks off a big play, and he breaks off a big play when he just fakes out a couple guys or yeah. somebody makes a coverage assignment and a mistake and then he just takes advantage of it and it's kind of like uh poor man's Deshaun Jackson you know mm-hmm. I like Deshaun Jackson where he's going but Austin's on a team that's so limited in talent in the passing game so many questions of course at quarterback I would want nothing to do uh, with Tavon Austin this year San Francisco is very similar you look at the San Francisco offense and the, the whole only, team is a bust. There are two prominent players right now from a fantasy standpoint, and maybe three if your league's deep enough where Vance McDonald starts to matter. Uh, I like Vance McDonald where he's going because they may have to throw to the tight end a ton. The receiving core is a mess. The injury to Bruce Ellington is actually pretty significant for them. At Torrey Smith, earlier in the draft season, I thought he'd be force-fed and, and be more of a volume player than he's been in the past. The quarterback situation is a complete debacle. And it leads me to this conclusion that Carlos Hyde's going to disappoint us this year because he's going to see eight guys in the box on pretty much every play. Yeah, that's the concern. I think he looked so good before the injury last season, kind of came back and was never really himself, never really at full strength. So we didn't really get to see a full year of what Carlos Hyde can be. But I don't know if this is going to be the best sample. You know, like you said, they're going to be stacking the box. We don't know what the quarterback situation is going to look like. And regardless, there just aren't enough weapons on this team on the outside to to help whoever ends up being the quarterback in San Francisco, probably going to be Blaine Gabbert at this point. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I think the workload's going to be there for Carlos Hyde, but I don't think the holes are going to be there, and I think he's going to get beat up quite a bit. Let's transition over to the NFC North, and I think there are two very viable candidates. If you start with the Bears, I mean, Jeremy Langford, one of the most documented uh, players as far as, like, constantly popping up on bust lists that are written up. I look at him and Kevin White and... I don't really want either one of these players. And if you force me to take one, I think I would take Langford just because I don't know if Jordan Howard's going to be much more than a short yardage back. Jacquez Rogers just seems like a pass catching specialist. I don't really see anything with Kadeem Carey. Whereas with Kevin White, if he just looks like a rookie because he missed all of last year with that leg injury and he's not showing any signs of building that rapport with Jay Cutler early on, he could be one of those players you have to wait until the second half of the season to get any sort of meaningful production from, whereas Langford's going to get that volume in that backfield right away. Yeah, I don't love Jeremy Langford, but going 23rd among running backs for a guy who's pretty solidly, at least to begin the year, the RB1 in Chicago, I don't think is too steep of a price to pay. But Kevin White is a guy, I mean, he's somewhat of a risky pick you know, going into the draft in 2015. You know, One year of kind of insane production in a spread out offense at West Virginia. Hadn't really done a whole lot before that. Um, so, you know, it was, a, it was an upside pick basically by Chicago, a guy that they knew they would probably have to develop. Then the injury happens, kind of derailing that development. And, and he has had a full offseason, you know, to kind of prepare, which is which is good. But at the same time, even if he comes back and even if he, he is pretty good in what's essentially going to be his rookie season, he's not going to pass Alshon Jeffrey, you know, for the number one receiving job. So to me, his, his ceiling, even if he is healthy and even if he's ready, is capped by, by the presence of Alshon Jeffrey. Quarterback situation is no better than average right. if Jay Cutler's playing Just well. Just the offense as a whole. I mean, how many plays are they going to run? It's not going to be pretty. I wonder if John Fox, if they just want to ugly things up, run the ball a lot, just right. grind games out. I'm thinking like Dallas last year when Romo and Dez were hurt. Like that's the type of offense John Fox <laughs> That's the type of offense when your whole run. team is healthy that you want to run. That's the kind of offense that if you're a Bears fan will be easy to yep. take naps during like when right. they, when the, they play they usually play at noon yeah is it that that one thirty two o'clock nap you know you eat yep. the, the pulled pork at halftime you're gonna be asleep by the mm-hmm. middle of the third quarter watching those early bears games throughout this season uh, let's talk about the lions i mean golden tate last year was not efficient in terms of his yards per target number 
taking a big hit. You got Amir Abdullah taking on a larger share of the workload in the backfield. Matthew Stafford, expectations have already been dialed back for him. They brought in Marvin Jones this offseason, and there was an article three or four weeks ago, I think it was in the M Live group of newspapers, talking about how Marvin Jones was looking like the team's new number one receiver following the retirement of Kelvin Johnson. Now, based on where Jones is going in drafts, you're not paying the price of a number one receiver. You're seeing uh, probably a three-round difference in ADP between Jones and Golden Tate right now. But you've got some concerns about Marvin Jones. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I still like Golden Tate more than I like Marvin Jones. It's hard for me to believe that Marvin Jones is going to be the number one receiver in any offense, and certainly this isn't going to be a great Detroit offense. But um, you know, I have my reservations. I guess I, I still think Golden Tate, even though he is going, like you said, a couple rounds higher than Marvin Jones, I still think his bust potential is considerably lower, especially in PPR. If the cost were higher, I'd have Abdullah tagged as this player, but he's not yeah. that expensive. No, I, agree. So. I, I do not like Amir Abdullah, but he's, where he's going, I think it's still worth the risk. Yeah, I mean, I feel a little better about his skills than I do about Jeremy Langford's skills, and Abdullah's been cheaper in right. drafts so I, I think he's okay at his market price even though I'm not expecting this massive step forward I'd be shocked if this time next year we're talking about Amir Abdullah as a top 10 running back going mm-hmm. into 2017 I think with Jones I mean maybe the Anquan Bolden addition late in the offseason works against him because that takes away some targets but the player I'm fading is Golden Tate I think with both Jones and Bolden there and Kelvin Johnson gone, even though in the past Golden Tate's been productive when Megatron's not playing, I have to wonder if teams are going to roll even more coverage to Golden Tate than they have in the past, and if that's something that ultimately opens things up a bit more for Jones and Bolden. If Eric Ebron is healthy, I think he can be a guy in the red zone who makes a lot of noise. Golden Tate, to me, is a lot like Jarvis Landry, where yes, I don't want to overpay or pay full price for these volume players who, while they might have a consistent role in their offenses, they just don't seem to have that amazing ceiling because of their lack of touchdown upside. Right, right. That's the thing. And, and again, in certain formats, you know, if you're in PPR, I think you can you can kind of swallow that pill of of the risk of Golden Tate. But for a guy who might only get into the off or into the end zone three or four times, it, he's going a little bit high. Let's take a look at the Packers. I mean, Jordy Nelson has had a, a long road back, of course, from the ACL recovery. It often takes players a full year or more mm-hmm. to get back to the level they were previously at if they even reached that level at all nelson should be out there in week one at least it looks like there's a good chance he will be is he going to be out there tonight i don't I think, think he's supposed to play tonight I, th- I thought i read last week that that you know the plan initially was for him to get out there in week four of the preseason as we record on thursday but i'm not i'm not exactly sure either i don't think they've said definitively the problem i have with jordy nelson is just how aggressively owners have been going after him it's not that i don't think he can be good again even if he's a guy that gets you eight and a half or nine yards per target instead of the 10 plus he was getting you every year for the previous four years before he got hurt last season i think the efficiency is going to come down the key for the entire packers offense though is that he's still good enough to stretch the field and open things up for the other pass catchers for a guy like randall cobb i mean nelson versus cobb at their current prices i've been going to randall cobb every single time no questions asked so Relative to price, to me, Jordy Nelson is the bust in the Packers' offense this year. Yep, I'm right with you. I, I don't. Yeah, you have to give the caveat of relative to price because I mean, this is a guy that I've seen go as high as you know, end of first round, going over DeAndre Hopkins, over Allen Robinson. How? It, how, how, how could you do that? Yeah, well, I mean, you, you got to remember yeah. where we're located here. I guess probably has something to do oh, with it's a, it. It's but, a home. League, I mean, he's yeah. 31 years old. He's coming off of the ACL, and in the little research that I've done in the last 30 seconds, it looks like he's not going to play thursday night in the preseason finale he's going to come into week one really with no real game action uh in a tough hostile environment down in jacksonville and you kind of have to consider the psychological effects of that week one game against the jaguars and kind of how that'll how that'll really affect the entire team i agree now last team in the nfc north we're going to talk about the minnesota vikings uh the loss of teddy bridgewater obviously a big one for the offense even though they don't throw it that much because you're going to rely on a guy in sean hill who's a backup quarterback for a reason. I mean, he, well, I think this is going to be Stave's job. You think Stave is going to get like significant <laughs> playing time? Uh, well, if Sean Hill goes down at any point, then yes, right? Well, I don't, then, yeah, okay. So another something? quarterback, they'd probably try to get a veteran with some experience. Uh, you would, one would hope, as, as you and I have watched Joel Stave for the last three years, one would hope that they would go out. Well, if you take this offense and you look at it as one that's pretty conservative, but definitely run first, of course, the Adrian Peterson in that backfield. The player who suffers the most, in my opinion, with Teddy Bridgewater out of the mix this season is Stephon Diggs. And we saw it from Diggs last year. It just seemed like once teams realized he was kind of taking over as the number one receiver, coverage was different. 
the production went down with Sean Hill. I just don't see Diggs taking much of a step forward in year two. Whereas previously, I thought he was a viable like wide mm-hmm. receiver four based on where he was priced. Yeah, I'm with you on Diggs. I mean, it, it's kind of the same situation that we talked about in Dallas, where you know quarterback goes down. You, do you, I mean, first of all, do you like Adrian Peterson more or less now? Well, he's he's had situations in the past where the quarterback play was a problem. You right. see loaded box and pretty much always. I think what it's going to be is Peterson's going to be productive. The per carry numbers might take a hit, but he might actually get yeah. two or three more carries per game than previously right. expected. And we had him projected for one of the heaviest workloads in the NFL anyway. So this actually probably gives him more volume mm-hmm. in a way that it's neutral. Like it, it offsets yep. the lack of efficiency. So I don't think his value really changes at all. No, I'm with you. I feel the same way about Ezekiel Elliott as well. And for Peterson, though, there's a durability concern. How much of this workload can he shoulder? He was already going to be going to be doing so much with Bridgewater in the picture. Now with him out, you know, you can basically put whoever you want in the box, and and that's basically what defenses have done against Peterson for the last seven or eight years. But going back to Diggs, I'm with you. I think the the breakout last season was due in part to the chemistry that he had with Bridgewater. Is he going to establish that with Sean Hill or Joel Stave? Probably not. Um, so, I mean, I'm fading him it, you know, in, any, in any drafts that I have coming up. What do you think about Laquan Treadwell? Uh, I mean, the Vikings haven't exactly had great luck with SEC uh, high draft pick receivers in the past, but uh, do you expect him to do much at all in year one? I think the, the absence of Bridgewater probably knocks him down a little bit more than he already was. You think they're upset about how Corderell Patterson has worked out? Corderell Patterson, Sidney Rice, uh, yeah, not exactly a great track record. Sidney Rice got hurt, though. Percy Harvin. Harvin was a weird player. Like, I mean, he wasn't a traditional wide receiver. I'm not no, trying no, to defend true. the I'm Vikings, just saying, they've, they've pretty much gone 0 for 3. Yeah, they've gone like 1.5 for 3. Like, it, it, it's, it's, Patterson was... Pretty good, a pretty good kick returner. He was a total bust. Like Patterson was a total bust. Rice, like Sidney Rice, Rice was a pretty, pretty good, good player before he got hurt. So right. I, I look at that as more of a success than than a failure. Uh, and then, of course, you know, in, in the case of the Treadwell, we're looking at a player now that probably is going to be useful in 2017 or 2018. Yeah, dynasty guy. Yeah, I don't really like him at all in redraft formats. And that he wasn't really getting that much buzz anyway. So. Wow. It's just one of those things where if you're I feel taking like he that looks the late, part more than he actually is the part. Yeah, I just I want to know how how polished he is as a route runner. If he can get separation from NFL uh, DBs, because that's that's the biggest question I mm-hmm. think he's facing right now. Uh, moving on to the NFC South, Mark Ingram for me for the Saints as a top ten, top twelve running back. I'm not seeing it. Too many durability questions. Even though he was used heavily as a pass catcher last year, the efficiency is not bad. I just I think that durability problem with him is legitimate and i don't want to invest one of my first three picks in a guy like ingram i mean i i don't mind investing in mark ingram at at the right price i guess you know a solid rb1 and what should be a decent offense um but but again yeah like you said the, the durability is kind of the main concern for him um i mean are you worried at all about about cj spiller you know coming in and passing downs really didn't do a whole lot for them uh last season just 34 receptions they still have tim hightower no, there's nothing else in the depth chart that I like. So I guess that's where right. most people are probably saying, well, I don't, you know, I just don't like assuming injuries. Even, I mean, there are certain guys you almost have to, and maybe Ingram is one of those guys for you, but it's just hard for me to pass up on what could be really, really, really good value just because you're assuming that you know, he's going to miss six, seven games. Well, the other factor, and this is probably equally weighted with the injury risk for me right now, he's not a big play runner. I mean, he no. had five carries last year of 20 or more yards, which isn't terrible for 166 carries, but go back to 2014. Five of 20 or more yards that year, 226 attempts, uh, three out of 78 back in 2013. Last year was the first time that he had a carry of 40 or more yards. He had two of those last season, but he had zero in the four seasons prior to last year. So I just don't really see a guy that has breakaway speed. If the pass catching volume dips at all, you know, that chips away at his value in PPR leagues. Uh, The Saints are one of those teams, kind of like the Packers, when they're in close, they don't necessarily hand it off to their lead back. They might dump a pass to the fullback. They might use a guy like Hightower in a situational role. There's just so many quirky little things about the Saints running game each and every year where I don't find myself really ever investing in their running backs. Is Mark Ingram the least impressive Heisman Trophy winner in recent memory? Hmm... He's got the lowest percentage of of votes of any winner in the last like sixteen years. Admittedly, I'm I'm Googling Heisman Trophy winners to make sure like I didn't forget anybody. I just remember thinking when he won it, it was like, eh, like he was the team was really good. They won the title, that was great, but he he was just never an impressive, you know, 
Heisman quality players. You look at some of these other guys who have won. If we're grading players based on their NFL careers, I mean Johnny Manziel. Well, right. We're not. We're not no, not, not talking NFL careers. Oh, we're talking about like college. Because otherwise, Troy Smith would be out of here. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Ingram, I do think was really just the byproduct of a right. tremendously productive offense exactly. at Bama. And we've seen that with other backs, too. I mean, Trent Richardson looked really good mm-hmm. at Bama as well, and he's not in the league anymore. So He'll be back. Don't worry. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll actually, he's probably, we've <laughs> got to check our CFL. Future Hall feed. of Famer, Trent Richardson, right? Future Canadian Football Hall of Famer, maybe. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the Bucks. Doug Martin is a player you are hesitant to invest in this year uh what's the concern i mean for me if there is one it's that Jameis calls his own number Mm -hmm. at the stripe and with that doug martin kind of gets the jonathan stewart effect you know cam newton takes away tds from jonathan stewart there's a pretty big difference in price now martin's younger Uh, you might catch some more passes Mm -hmm. so the volume's a little safer but i definitely see some of that bust potential in doug martin at his current sticker price yeah, I mean, I'm kind of going to walk back what I just said about Mark Ingram as far as not predicting injuries or, or predicting performance drop-off. But Doug Martin you know, broke onto the scene as a rookie, broke onto the Rotowire uh, NFL magazine cover in year two, and then had you know, back-to-back poor years derailed by injury in 2013, 2014, pretty much back to, to rookie season form in 2015. And you know, I, I do wonder, can he put together back-to-back healthy, productive seasons? We haven't really seen that yet. So for me, I'm not expecting him to necessarily be a bust. But when I look at that offense, I think he has the highest bust potential. I I like Jameis Winston a ton. I really, really like Mike Evans. Austin Safarian Jenkins, I'm a little bit worried about. But he's really not going high enough that, that I would label him much of a bust. I guess Evans, based on price, does have a bust potential, but I, I think he's going to be awesome. Unless I he mean, gets hurt, he has, I don't think he has any bust potential. I think he's, like, if, if you told me that the 2017 ADP report is going to have DeAndre Hopkins, where Mike Evans is this year, and Mike Evans takes Hopkins' spot, I, I would just say, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And we've sense. talked about this so many times. If Mike Evans caught four more touchdowns last season, he's probably going in the top five. He's probably a, he's probably ahead of Hopkins. He's ahead of Des Bryant. He's right up there with Allen Robinson. Yeah, I, I love the passing game in Tampa Bay, and Martin is the guy that I think is being a little bit overdrafted right now. It's all Again, this whole conversation is relative to current prices. I mean, some of these guys are, are legitimately good players, but the situation doesn't make a lot of sense for them going into this year. Uh, For me, if we're looking at the Carolina Panthers, Kelvin Benjamin is going to be a disappointment this season. Some people are drafting him as early as round three. I think more recently he's slipped more like mid-round four in some drafts, but Devin Funches is having a good preseason. Uh, They didn't really lose much at the receiver position, unless the philosophy changes to where they're throwing it more, there just aren't enough targets to go around. I still like Kevin Benjamin, though. I mean, thousand-yard receiver, ten touchdowns as a rookie, and uh, you know ACLs aren't really the derailing injury that they used to be. I'd, to, I guess you know Philly Brown and Ted Ginn don't really scare me off. I, I think Funchess is maybe the the bigger worry for me, just because he's a similar player to Calvin Benjamin and you know similar size, similar profile as far as you know what they bring physically, but. I just I just don't see you know the Carolina offense carving out targets for Ted Ginn and Philly Brown over a guy who you know they invested a first round pick in a couple of years ago. I just worry with Benjamin like as a bigger receiver, especially a guy that wasn't a burner before he got hurt. If he's going to have some trouble getting separation yeah. coming off this injury and and with yeah, I mean price. that was yeah that was the issue too as a rookie and like you said coming out of Florida State and you know maybe ten touchdowns isn't a sustainable number to expect every year, but. I, I don't know. I don't. I, I'm totally fine grabbing him where he's at right now. I think he's being a little bit too discounted. He caught half of his targets as a rookie, like as a rookie, half in in like a fairly shaky at the time offense. Yeah, I, just, I can't I can't justify it at the the current price with Kelvin Benjamin. I mean, I don't think he's a bad player. I just I, I he's want a number one receiver in a top three offense. Mm, yeah, maybe and maybe. I, I just don't, I don't see either one of those things as things right. I'm overwhelmingly confident in. Uh, let's close the book on the NFC, taking a look at the Atlanta Falcons. A lot of people are fading Devontae Freeman, who led all running backs in fantasy Weird points dynamic with how that's gone. It's just been so up and down over the last month, month and a half. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, I haven't really seen, heard, or read anything that suggests that someone really likes Devontae Freeman as a early or mid-second-round yeah, pick, which is sort of bizarre. I mean, Tevin Coleman's still there. This time last year, Coleman uh, was earning the starting job, and had he not got hurt in week one, we might be talking about Coleman every place we've been talking about Freeman. So what do you think is going to be the problem? Do you think it's going to be that he faded down the stretch, Coleman's still going to be there to push him, 
and Atlanta as a team might just be that's the bigger mediocre thing. and they may be a team that spends a lot less time in the red zone as we saw in the second half yeah that's the biggest thing for me is I don't think Atlanta got a whole lot better they were they've been among one of the more disappointing teams I think in the NFC for the past two or three years now and certainly how they ended last season uh kind of rang true with that but I mean Freeman going now seventh among running backs to me that's okay I mean I would still probably take Jamal Charles you, you could make a case for Ingram or Lacey or you know McCoy uh, is a guy I would probably take over Devontae Freeman I might be in the minority with that but you know I think at the beginning of draft season he was being talked about you know, kind of in that same breath as Gurley Johnson Bell and Zeke Elliott you know Devontae Freeman was probably number four or five on that list now that he's fallen to number seven or eight I'm a little bit more comfortable with it but but the threat of Tevin Coleman combined with the with the fact that I just don't think this offense is going to be that good scares me off a bit yeah I, I I could see that offense being one that continues to underwhelm and it's going to be to my detriment because I've got Matt Ryan going in the yep. Stopa League as one of my two quarterbacks so got a lot invested in that passing game I have very little investment in the running game my only shares will be Tevin Coleman in a best ball league barring a change uh, between now and this time next week so I got a couple drafts to go so maybe at the right price I end up with one share of Devonta Freeman but I don't think that's going to happen because I do see that bust potential given that setup all right nobody ever gets in their car thinking I'm drunk I'm driving and I'm going to kill someone tonight they might think I've had a few drinks but I'm okay to drive or I only live a few minutes from here or I've gotten away with this plenty of times before and they think like that right up until the moment they kill someone thousands of people are killed in drunk driving crashes every year it's better to be safe than sorry Download the free Safer Ride app to help you call a taxi or send a friend your location when you've been drinking. Drive sober or get pulled over. Now it's time for our safe sleeper pick, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Many of us will be downing beers at our fantasy football drafts, which leads to bad decisions in the later rounds or worse decisions like getting behind the wheel after the draft. Nick, today's safe sleeper pick is Austin Safarian Jenkins. We were talking about the Bucks just a few moments ago. I think with Vincent Jackson, you know, durability hasn't been as much of a problem for him recently, but he's on the wrong side of 30. If he goes down especially, Mike Evans is going to draw a lot of attention. He's going to get his, but there's going to be enough there most weeks in Tampa Bay where I think three different pass catchers can be productive. And I think based on his current price, people really are overlooking what Austin Safarian Jenkins might do uh, this season with Jameis Winston taking a big step forward in Tampa Bay. I mean, it, does he even is he even penciled in as their starting tight end at this point? That's what's concerning to me is you know the the kind of the off field or the disciplinary issues I, I think have kind of pushed him out of favor with that coaching staff. I mean, the talent is undeniable. I just, I just wonder if he's going to end up kind of hurting himself with with how he's acted and kind of the I guess the persona that he's established down there in such a short time. Uh, I do wonder if he's going to be on the field enough. I mean, I think as of right now, Cameron Braid is their number one tight end. I think with with Safarian Jenkins, it seems like he's taking to some of the, I don't know, attempts to motivate him from the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, he's going to be pretty good. I mean, he's cheap enough where you take the chance on him as your second tight end. If he's not getting as many snaps and targets as you expect in the early weeks, you let him go and the possible yeah. payoff could be big i mean seven he might just be talented catches, enough that they can't keep him off the field right seven of his 21 catches last year went for 20 or more yards 8.7 yards per target it's very good for a tight end two of 40 plus mm -hmm. four tds i mean that was just in seven games so. right i mean you think about it, your top three receivers on this team could be you know mike evans six five vincent jackson another big guy and six six two sixty tight end i mean it's it's a tantalizing offense to think about yes uh, that's that's for me like that's the main reason why he's such an appealing sleeper is just mm -hmm. that he's an easy target for a guy like James Winston to find, especially if Mike Evans is getting double or triple covered in some instances. All right, let's take a look at the AFC teams. Bus from each AFC team will start in Buffalo. Tyrod Taylor seems like he's priced appropriately. I like LaShawn McCoy a lot where he's going. Even Sammy Watkins, the talent he brings to the table is incredible. So if, unless he's getting bumped up to like late round one, I think he's fine as well. And given how skinny the tree is as far as the output goes, I mean, Charles Clay might be their number two receiver. Charles Clay's not very expensive, so I'm not worried about Charles Clay either. Who's, is, who's actually a bust on this team this year? That's a good question. Uh, I, I mean, you, this is kind of the same uh, issue that we've run into with a lot of these teams where you look at where guys are going, and it's hard to say they're actually you know, a, a complete bust based on based on the ADP data. Um, but I don't know. I mean, for me, 
it's going to be Reggie Bush, and you know, it's a, a guy who's you know probably not even getting drafted in the majority of leagues. But after Carlos Williams was let go, it was oh you know Reggie Bush might be that number two guy to come in. I don't we haven't really seen that from Reggie Bush. I mean that's kind of been his mo you know over the last three four years wherever he's ended up he's going to be that that dynamic receiver slash running back and it really hasn't happened to me. I just this just makes me really really like Lashawn McCoy. Uh, and I don't really see that there's going to be a, a whole lot of production behind him unless there's an injury. Yeah, I, I don't like Mike Gillisley, Bush, Jonathan Williams, Wilder, Dan Heron, anybody that really pushed no. LaShawn McCoy. If one gets hurt, like Williams versus Gillisley seems to be more of the battle than Bush taking on a more prominent right. role. So take a different lottery ticket is what it comes down to. Not really a lot expected from Reggie Bush, but at the same time, don't don't throw the dart thinking that He's going to have a situational role that you want to rely on. Uh, moving on to the Patriots. You know, Deion Lewis on the pup list to begin the season. James White's value, of course, is on the rise. Uh, Rob Gronkowski's going late in round one. I don't have a problem with Gronk going there. I'm a little worried about Julian Edelman at his price, especially without Tom Brady for the first four games. I have no shares so far. I'm just not sure if he's going to be the biggest possible bust in this New England offense. Yeah, I mean, it's... Tough to quantify, I guess, without Brady, what that's going to mean for this receiving core, you know, for those first four games. I'm not too worried about Edelman. I think once Brady's back, um, you know, barring an injury to to him, and that was an issue last year, he missed missed seven games during the regular season. Uh, I think he's going to be fine. I think that that rapport with Brady will kind of take over. To me, it's going to be Deion Lewis. And, you know, again, another guy who's hard to say is a bust. He's, you know, starting the year on the pup list, won't be able to play for at least the first six games. But, I'm not really taking a flyer on him uh, unless it's you know very very late and basically at no cost, uh, just because I don't think it's guaranteed to you know to be his job and you know step right back into to the productive role that he was in in 2015. I think you know Legarrette Blunt is going to have a chance to to kind of emerge as the legitimate number one back. And granted, the Patriots have used two or three backs you know many years in the past. Um, and it's going to be also an opportunity for James White to establish himself over those first five or six games. So with the way that New England operates, you know, nothing is ever really promised in that offense, you know, at any skill position. So it just worries me a little bit that, that Deion Lewis could kind of be pushed out of favor by the time he's healthy. Yeah, you look at the more recent ADP data, he's going inside the top 100 still, which I know he's falling quite a bit because of the, the news pretty recently that he's on the pup list. But I, I don't really see the reason to draft him and stash him away because James White can do a lot of the same things. If White's playing well, there's no compelling reason for Bill Belichick to just pull the plug on James White and play Deion Lewis coming off a knee injury uh, at midseason. Moving on to the Jets, to me, the receivers are both very safe. Marshall and Decker at the top. Matt Forte worries me because of the hamstring injury. I like the setup going into this season. The fact that it took him nearly a month to get back on the field makes me very nervous about the two shares of Matt Forte that I already have. I'm not too worried about Forte. I mean, any guy dealing with an injury like that, you have to you have to take into account. But for me, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick. I this whole off season, you know, contract dispute certainly doesn't help. You know, the fact that he's back and you know they pretty much brought back everyone in that offense, swapping out Ivory uh, for Matt Forte. I think the continuity will be good for him. But he's turning 34 in November. I mean, he had a career year by far. Uh, last season, you know, approached 4,000 yards really for the first time since 2011. Um, you know, 31 touchdowns, seven more than he's ever thrown, and you know, 14 more than he threw in 2014 with the Texans. So, you know, to me, this this team didn't really get a whole lot better overall. They brought back just about everyone from a non-playoff team last year. I think the ceiling is relatively low for Fitzpatrick. I don't think he has anywhere to go. You know, maybe he sustains what he did last season. I think that's your absolute best case scenario. But to me, I think he takes a minor step back. I think he could throw like 26 or 27 TDs because of Marshall and Decker which yeah. is, is fine, which, but yeah, sure. the other options there are so uninspiring that you don't right. really see uh, them making much of a dent. Moving on to Miami, Arian Foster seems like he's taking away that starting job from Jay Ajayi over the course of the last four weeks, being priced up quite a bit. Again, you got to look at the more recent ADP data to get a feel for what Foster's actually going to cost if you're drafting this weekend or next. The range of picks, pick 59 to 91, that's the earliest and latest he's gone over the last seven days, a total of 20 NFFC-style drafts. The ADP is 74 overall. So if you're in a 14-team league, that puts him early part of round six. I mean, based on that price, do you think Arian Foster makes fantasy owners happy this year? 
I don't think he does because I think he gets hurt. If he stays healthy, sure, at that price, I, I'm willing to take that risk. But to me, he's he's too far down the the you know the list of injuries that we've seen from him concerning you know career threatening type of injuries that he's been able to work back from, and, and certainly that's to his credit. But uh, I'm I'm staying away from Arian Foster, especially with a guy like Jay Ajayi behind him. I mean, maybe maybe I mean, we don't really know what he is skill wise quite yet, but from a pure you know intrigue talent perspective. You know, this is a situation where if Arian Foster doesn't perform well or, or gets hurt, they have a guy right there to step in. Yeah, that's that's true. They have a player that seemed like he was going to be the starter right. until they added Foster. Yeah, this isn't the Redskins. So, I don't know. I, I feel like the price on Foster per game is pretty fair. If you're looking at Foster versus Jeremy Langford, like I'd rather take the chance on Foster just being healthy and good for 10 or 12 games than Langford. I just, I just don't know what, Fo- even if Foster's healthy, like how good is he at this point? It's a fair question, but per game, I mean, even as he's aged, the numbers haven't really tailed off much. And last year was such a small sample that I don't yeah, really know if I want to look at that. that. Yeah, I kind of don't want to look at that as like reason to think he's not good anymore. Mm-hmm. I think he'll catch a lot of passes too out of the backfield, which brings that floor up a fair amount. We saw that last year. I mean, that's really kind of saved him in the games that he played. He was catching quite a few passes in that Houston offense. Uh, moving on to the AFC West, let's start in Denver. I mean, are you worried about Demarius Thomas or Emmanuel Sanders or Trevor Simeon at quarterback or C.J. Anderson as the lead back there? Or do you look at it really as a case where it's the quarterback play that's going to be the problem? And the thing about that is that they're not expensive. Like, nobody wants to invest in any of the Denver quarterbacks. Yeah, we don't have to talk much about Denver. To me, it comes down to the quarterbacks. I think I'm only worried about Thomas and Sanders if the quarterbacks are constantly in some sort of rotation where you know they can't establish any kind of continuity with those receivers, then maybe you start to dock them. But no, to me, it's all going to come down to quarterback play. Yeah, that's, that's the big issue. But last year, quarterback play was bad, right. and those receivers were still good. So unless right. Trevor Simeon is like Ryan Lindley out there, it's not going it's to not be out of the question. that bad. It's, it's possible, but I'm not, I'm not banking on it. So I'm, I'm with you. I'm just kind of staying away from the quarterbacks. And I see the, the key guys, Anderson, mm-hmm. Sanders, and Thomas, all being very useful at their current prices. Maybe Thomas is the one that, at his price, I'm, I'm less excited about him than the other two. But it doesn't mean I'm staying away uh, by any sort of real design. Moving on to the Chiefs. Any big bust in that Chiefs offense for you this year? I mean, honestly, not really. No, I mean, this is probably probably not too surprising with as conservatively as they play. You know, only two players in the top 100 uh, overall, those being uh, Jamal Charles and Jeremy Macklin. I think Macklin is pretty safe as far as where he's going. I mean, he, this is maybe the, the passing offense that you want to stay away from among any you know, relatively good teams uh, just because of you know, the production at that position. But I think Jeremy Macklin, is, you know, he's still the number one receiver in, in this offense, and that, that counts for something. I don't think Charkandrick, West, Spencer Ware, Niall Davis, none of, nobody, none of those three are going high enough that they're really bust to me. Um, I mean, it's just going to be kind of more of the same for Kansas City. Yeah, I think with Charles, he has to come down in price a little bit because he's not uh, progressing as expected in the final stages of his ACL rehab. And this is a guy that's gone yep. through it before, so he's familiar with that process. I think if he comes down to like round four, I'm interested. End of round two, throughout round three, I'm probably staying away right, right now. So I think Charles actually has the most bust potential based on how highly he was being drafted prior to this most recent news of his setback. Let's move on to Oakland. For me, Michael Crabtree is the player that is just not going to be good this year at all. I can see Latavius Murray holding the job all year. But I mean, Crabtree caught 85 passes last year, scored nine times, and still didn't have 1,000 yards. 6.3 yards per target, two years in a row where he's been inefficient. Weirdly enough, 15 catches of 20 or more yards. But to me, if the Raiders run the offense the same way they did last year, in terms of just overall, like the balance of run versus pass, Crabtree loses targets to Amari Cooper, and with fewer targets, the efficiency has to go up a lot for Crabtree to be anywhere near as useful as he was last year. He's just not a top 100 yeah. player for me. I, I have this irrational soft spot in my heart for Michael Crabtree, so I, I can't. Co- Why? Because of oh. college. Oh, in the Mike Leach offense? Come on. In the Mike Leach offense? Hell yeah. No, no, Nick, no. Same reason I still have a soft spot for Justin Blackman, but that's that's, that's, that's neither that, here. That's, that's Duval speaking. That's, that's neither that's, here nor there. Um, to me, it's Latavius Murray. Probably not too much of a surprise. I mean, if if you talk about starting running backs who are really in danger of of seeing their workload reduced or maybe losing their job at some point, I think he's probably in the top three or four that you talk about. Um, Crabtree, based on where he's going, probably a little bit overvalued. I agree with with the points that you made, but um, you know, at some point, my my bias has to kick in here. 
Plug your ears, blasphemy coming here. Looking at San Diego, Danny Woodhead to me is the big bust. I just don't see a reason to invest in wow. him where he's going right now because I feel like there are similar players. Racist. We're mostly, ca- yes, yes, that is definitely what's happening here. <laughs> similar players who catch a lot of passes, don't run the ball very much, aren't going to be big threats to carry the ball in near the goal line uh, who go for much lower prices. I, Woodhead's role is pretty firmly established, mm-hmm. but I'm expecting a lot more from Melvin Gordon this yep. year. So with that, I just think you get a little less from Danny Woodhead than you'd want based on his current right. price. You kind of have to pick a side. If you think Melvin Gordon's going to bounce back, then you have to discount Danny Woodhead a little bit, as, as crazy as that seems. As crazy it is, as it is to be worried about Danny Woodhead, I am worried about him staying away. I think he's going to bust at his current ADP. Moving on to the AFC North, a lot of Sammy Coates hype throughout this spring and summer you're not buying in i'm not buying in until he actually takes that job away from marcus whedon okay that's that's, that's fair. all i have to say about the matter no that's that's a fair take I mean, he caught one pass last year they're gonna use eli rogers as their slot receiver yep marcus whedon has the experience and the rapport built up already so darius hayward bay still fast yeah yeah that's, gotta think about that he's been riding 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 that uh speed tool forever i mean that's just <laughs> pretty much that's, yeah, that's, yeah, the like, that's really all it's like whoa, whoa whoa but this guy's really fast ran a great 40 he's been hanging around the Eight nfl years ago yeah ever since uh, i'm with you though as far as like the hype on coats it just doesn't seem like the steelers are committing to him yet no. even though i like the talent i don't really see the compelling reason to have sammy coats in every possible league uh this season so if you get a couple shares no big deal but I think it's too easy to expect a massive leap forward, which may be rooted in little more than just physical measurables. I mean, he didn't do much as a rookie last year, and I feel like if he had done something to the effect of catching even 25 or 30 right. passes... Or even like 10 passes. Right. We caught one. The hype would be more warranted for him this time around. Uh, looking at the Ravens, big questions in the backfield this year. I think Kamar Aiken's actually going to be fine at wide receiver, even with Perriman and Smith getting back on the field more recently. But with Justin Forsett, there's really nowhere to go but down for him value-wise because Terrence West looks like a different sort of player. And Javorius Allen was the better pass catcher Mm -hmm. last year, which I think could really ultimately work against Forsett at some point in the early weeks of the season. Yeah, I don't like this Baltimore offense at all. I'm, I'm with you on Kamari Aiken. I think his his value doesn't re- doesn't rise to me at all, but it's probably sustainable. Um, never want to discount Steve Smith. Yeah, at some point, I think the injuries are going to get the best of him. But you know, when he's on the field, he he always seems to find a way to be productive. So I think the receiving game is going to be a little bit better than it was last season. That Baltimore threw the ball way more than they wanted to, um, and just just this trio or quad, I guess, of running backs. If you want to include Kenneth Dixon, you know, West and, and Buck Allen alongside Forsett. I just don't see Forsett as being, you know, head and shoulders above all these guys in terms of talent that the workload is going to be split, you know, enough in his favor. Might be the starter in week one, might even get the most carries for the first few weeks, most touches for the first few Mm -hmm. weeks, but seems like one of the three or four backs most likely to lose a starting job over the course of the season. As far as the nickname Buck, by the way, can you just apply that whenever you want? You know, there, there are certain nicknames, you know, Bill's a nickname for William only, basically, but like Buck, is that just kind of a Rover nickname? I think anyone can become Buck. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm considering it. I would, I would rather be called Buck than Tag. Tag Whalen just has a nice ring to it, though. Buck Whalen. That's a rugged name. It's a rugged name, but because of your fascination with the Bucks, I feel like yeah. it can't happen. Yeah, that's true. Conflict of interest. Yeah, too much overlap. Moving on to the Bengals. I'm going nowhere near Andy Dalton as a QB, two. I know people aren't building their teams around him. I know last year the YPA uh, went up. but I'm People little, aren't building their teams around Andy Dalton? I don't think Wait, they what? are. But he, <laughs> I've been doing this fantasy thing all wrong. He's, he's got this skills growth he showed last year. I mean, the completion percentage was up for the second straight season, 66.1%. I just don't think the yardage totals are going to be that good. And last year was proof of that. So while he might be efficient... I mean, I don't think the volume's going to be there in Cincinnati. They still have Hill and Bernard. I think the running game gets back on track. And, and with that, if Andy Dalton is your QB2 that you think you're going to start six or seven times this year, I think you're going to be unhappy four or five out of those six or seven times. Yeah, no, no disagreement on that. Uh, I mean, for me, it's got to be Rex Burkhead. Yeah, I think just so much buzz potential oozing there. So no, much hype Brandon on LaFell. Brandon LaFell. I like Tyler Boyd quite a bit. I think this is a guy who probably could have gone in the first round without many qualms. And uh, I think by the end of the year, or maybe even sooner, he, he probably takes over that wide receiver two job behind A.J. Green. Boyd and Alex Erickson both uh, nipping at the heels of Brandon right? Oh, LaFell. yeah, I forgot about Alex Erickson. How did you forget about Anti-bust. Alex Erickson? That's, that's ridiculous. I'm ashamed. Just ashamed of you right now. 
Closing the book on the AFC North with the Browns. I like Corey Coleman. I like Josh Gordon. I think they're both being fairly priced right now. I like Gary Barnage early in the year because of the suspension to Josh Gordon. So I think if you're looking at someone that can help you the first four weeks in particular at tight end, it doesn't cost a lot. No problem with Barnage there, but maybe a player that you're going to have to replace uh, come week five. Is Isaiah Crowell, Duke Johnson, anyone like that, RG3, just someone that you're avoiding because you think it's going to be a colossal disaster for them this year? This Browns team is either going to be really fascinating and fun to watch or really, really bad, right? I don't see this ending up any way that it's not an extreme... You don't see mediocrity. You see no. something worse or Well, they might be better. mediocre in terms of record. Uh, but I, I just think you know, there's, it's either just going to be a ton of drama and it, things just you know go to hell by week three, or it's going to be really fun and Terrell Pryor and Josh Gordon are running all over everybody down the sidelines. I don't really know which way it's going to go. If Safe Money probably says it's going to be a disaster, but uh, to me, it's Isaiah Crowell in terms of bus potential. I really like Duke Johnson. I think he brings a lot more in the passing game, and I think as, as the season moves on, he kind of grows into that role as a number one. I'm staying away from Duke because it's taking a top like five-round pick to get him. Like He's going before pick 70, and in full-point PPR, maybe he's kind of like a Danny Woodhead type who carries the ball more at the beginning of the year. If Crowell gets hurt or just disappears then great. Duke Johnson's going to be fine. But I think Crowell's cheap enough where I don't really look at him as a big bust. Duke Johnson, a little too expensive for my liking right now because of the presence of Isaiah Crowell. Like the passing game, not crazy about the running game right now in Cleveland. Uh, Let's go to the AFC South, the last of our divisions as we look for all of the busts this season. On your Jags offense, who's the worst player to have right now because of the bust potential? None. You can't name one? None. I I don't see any possible busts on this team. None? No. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess probably Julius Thomas. I think Robinson and Hearns are pretty set. Uh, I think Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon, based on where they're going, I do have my concerns about how that's going to break down, especially when it comes to Yeldon. I don't know how many opportunities he's going to have to get in the end zone this year. Um, but both of those two are going late enough that I, I wouldn't really label them bust potentials. I think it's Julius Thomas, and, and this is not a guy that people are, you know, like Andy Dalton. They're not building their teams around Julius Thomas. Um, but but at the end of the day, I think Robinson is enough of a red zone threat. I think the the addition of Chris Ivory you know, is going to allow them to run the ball in the red zone, and and they really don't throw to Julius Thomas as much as they should, at least in my opinion. And and a lot of his work was done around the goal line last season. I don't know if those targets are going to be there. Only five TDs in the 12 games he played last year, back-to-back years with 12 in Denver. There's injury risk. There are a lot of capable hands for Blake Bortles to throw the ball to. And they still have Mercedes Lewis, too, who, you know, again, not a guy you're building your team around, but, you know, a capable veteran tight end. I mean, they play two tight end sets quite a bit, and I just, I don't know. I don't see the high-end value for Julius Thomas. No, I I don't see it either. I think some people are looking at him as an 8-10 to range tight end. I think he's more of a tight end, too, where you're mixing and matching, and he's going to be a frustrating player to own because of the way he gets utilized, the TD potential in that offense in its current construct, much lower than the offense as he was playing in, in Denver, of course, in 2013 and 2014. Let's move on to the Houston Texans. I think there's some people out there listening saying, call Lamar Miller a bust. I don't want shares of him. I don't want him as a late first rounder, early second rounder. I'm not going to do it, Nick. I, I, think, I think he's going to be fine. DeAndre Hopkins... I don't think he's going to bust so badly where people are mad they took him in the first round. I think he might return like second round value, which mm-hmm. isn't, it's not a bust. I mean, that's just getting a little less than you expected. But part of the reason a guy can be a first round pick is that he has a high floor. I think Hopkins has a high floor. Who lets you down in the Houston offense this year? It's got to be one of these receivers, right? I, I th- I'm, a, I'm right with you on Hopkins. I think he's a little bit overvalued, but I also think he's a good enough player and the volume is going to be there that even if his efficiency kind of lags behind as it did last season, he's going to get enough targets that at the bare minimum, you're going to get you know solid second round value out of him. If you draft him in the first round, maybe you're a little bit disappointed, but he's not going to kill your team. You know, I, based on where Will Fuller is going, and you know, you can kind of lump Braxton Miller and Jalen Strong into this too. That those three are really intriguing names to me, but they're all unproven. There's a new quarterback. I think anyone beyond DeAndre Hopkins in this Houston offense at the receiver position is is a lottery ticket and a, a pretty risky one at that. Yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to look at it. I don't really see anyone going after the tight ends. The secondary receiver options are buried far enough where they're not going to wreck your team if you take the chance. But you should just take the chance on something else because. It could be the skinniest of trees in terms of where the targets are going. I mean, DeAndre Hopkins could be targeted 200 times this year, 
maybe the efficiency goes down because it's getting so much more attention. I just don't know if one of Fuller, Miller, or Jalen Strong emerges to have steady week-to-week value. So I think you're right to stay away from the depth options there. Certainly not an earth-shattering revelation, but just something to think about if you thought there'd be enough to go around behind a player like DeAndre Hopkins. Moving on to the Colts, Frank Gore, the easy target here as a possible bust. The only thing that works in his favor is that they have such an uninspiring group of backs currently behind him on the depth chart to the point where if you buy into the Indy offense as one that will be a lot better this year, having a healthy Andrew Luck back under center, Gore might be the kind of player that gets you 180 carries for 800 yards, catches 25 balls for about 200 yards, and then scores like nine or 10 times simply because he's the guy the Colts rely on in close. But that's the best case scenario, and there's so many things that could go wrong for him given his age and given his declining efficiency. Yeah, I'm betting against Frank Gore, and you know history says he's going to play 16 games and grind out a thousand yards, but I just don't see it. I, I don't know that this Colts offense is going to be all that good. Um, you're pretty much banking on a big time rebound from Andrew Luck and a big time rebound from that offensive line uh, for this team to to reach the ceiling that many people think they have. The, the, what works in advantage, I guess, for Frank Gore is there really isn't much behind him. You know, they just brought in Stephen Ridley, you got Jordan Todman, a, a great, great ex-Jag but other than that I just don't see there's no threat to Frank Gore so what makes me hesitant is that even though I don't like Frank Gore I don't see anyone behind him who can really step up and pry that job from him unless he gets hurt I like how you're incapable of saying ex-Jag without raining effusive praise down on that player that's amazing he provided great service sure yeah great service all right last team to get to the Tennessee Titans a playoff team in my opinion this year by the way a wild card team but i think they're going to sneak in they're going to be kind of good and it's going to be fun to watch too is the afc south getting three playoff teams mm, no sorry they're getting two so jags win the division no i don't know how the, how does that work then jags are going to go seven and nine titans are going to go nine and seven they're gonna be the last wild card team in nick nick's gonna Just storm out of here out. i'm leaving i'm leaving right now uh, who, who's your bust, though, in this offense? I, I mean, I like Mariota. I like the running game. Delaney Walker seems like he's going to be the most reliable pass catcher week to week. But do you see the receiving core having any sort of value? Not a ton. I, it's so hard to look at this receiving core and find a, a number one. You know, I, Tajay Sharp's been getting a lot of hype since the Doriel Green Beckham trade. I'm a little bit lukewarm on him. I want to see him, you know, actually perform during regular season games. I like Richard Matthews, I guess, based on where you can get him because he has a pretty good chance to me to be the number one in this offense. I don't really know what that's going to mean. You know, a number one in the Tennessee offense is, you know, not the number one in the Pittsburgh offense or anything like that. So, you know, the kind of value that you're returning there is going to be pretty volatile. Um, I mean, you could kind of make a case for DeMarco Murray if you think at some point Derrick Henry kind of ends up grabbing that job from him. Yeah, I I think in this case, though, both of those backs can coexist. I think they're Mm going to be uh, strong enough up front to run it against pretty much anybody. And Mariota, as a mobile quarterback, the way you have to defend him opens things up on the inside. You've got two backs that are going to run very effectively between the tackles. So I think if you want to fade anything, you do fade the receivers. Walker, as I said before, is going to be fine at tight end. It's a matter of whether you feel like the price on Matthews or Sharp is too high, but maybe compared to some of the late draft season buzz he's getting, and I think Sharp's going to be useful in full point PPR leagues. Maybe he's being slightly overdrafted, and based on that, he's the bust, but it just seems like this is one of the four or five offenses. We've talked about a few, like Buffalo is one of them for sure, where most of the players are actually being appropriately priced. Houston's kind of like that too. We didn't really have a bust on the Texans necessarily. It was more just there's not a lot there behind Hopkins, and we don't expect that to change. I think with Tennessee, most of these players are priced about where they should be, and that's what kind of leaves them without a, a disgusting bust-type player that's going to wreck you. And every DeMarco Murray owner from last year who doesn't have him this year is going to be rooting so hard against that guy right. in 2016. I will say, as we stand now, you know, a little over a week away from, from week one, most for the most part, players are being appropriately priced, right? I mean, it was tough for us to go team by team and really feel good about one guy who you could, you know, solidly say is a bust. And you know, probably come week three, we'll look back and you know, look at look at some of where, where these players were being drafted, and it'll be obvious. But for now, it, it's pretty tough to to make a case. I mean, I think Matt Jones's price has been bad all yep. along. John Brown's price has been too high. There's like at least one per division that's right. ridiculous. But, Jordan but not Nelson's necessarily one per team. Not, not necessarily one per team. I mean, like they're they're off. If you're off by a round or two, that's that's not horrible as you move into the middle rounds. But at the, the higher end guys, I mean, Nelson, John Brown, 
Jeremy Langford has fallen a little bit in some cases. Kevin White's ADP just never has seemed right to me this draft season. Uh, Freeman doesn't seem like a, a gross error, even though we see that bust potential because there is something there. If that Fel- if that Falcons offense can kind of figure out what it was that was so effective for them in the first half last year, Deion Lewis had a bad ADP even before the pup list thing. So that one kind of like played itself out in a way where everybody's now adjusting as we move into the final couple of weekends. Uh, Sammy Coates isn't so ridiculously expensive that he's going to wreck you if you do draft him. But we still think it could be a bust nonetheless. So, yeah, you're right. I mean, the market doesn't seem horrible across the board. We're just trying to cherry-pick these players that are likely to leave us disappointed, regardless of how expensive they actually are. That's going to wrap things up for today's episode of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast, sponsored by Drive Sober or Get Pulled Over. Tim Heaney and I are back with you on Friday. Quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13.